In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We'll study tonight uh, chapter 10 from the Gospel of St. Matthew, starting from verse 27 to the end of the chapter. Chapter 10 is a very important chapter in the Gospel of St. Matthew because in this chapter, we read about what we call the limited commission. The limited commission when the Lord commanded the disciples to go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And he gave them commandments for this mission. And we call this limited commission because here the Lord instructed them to go only to the lost sheep of Israel, and he told them, do not go to a city of Samaria or to the Gentiles. But the great commission after the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sorry, before the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ to heaven, he instructed the disciples to go and to preach the gospel of salvation to the whole world. That's why we call this the Great Commission, because here the gospel will be preached to the whole world. But the first time, he sent them only to the lost sheep of Israel. So let us read some verses from Matthew 20. Uh, chapter 10, verse 27. The Lord told them, Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetop. Uh, many things the Lord taught them to the disciples in private before sending them out. So the Lord is telling them whatever you heard it in private or in the ear or in the dark, now actually it is a time to go and publicly preach it to the people. So these verses are about encouragement. He is encouraging the disciples to go boldly and to preach the word of God. And in order to support them, he told them, some people when they hear your preaching, they, will, they, they want to kill you. That's why in verse 28 he told them, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So, after the person kills the soul, he has no authority over, sorry, after the people kill the body, they have no authority over the soul because the soul is the immortal part. 
So our enemies, the most that they can do is to kill our body. But after this, they cannot do anything more. Like the martyrs of Libya. Yes, they killed their bodies, but they have no authority over their souls. Our souls in the hand of God. That's why he told us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid from those who kill the body. Even if they kill your body, they have no authority over your soul. But do you want to know whom you should fear? You should fear him who have authority over the soul and the body and to throw both of them in hell, in the lake of fire. If the person resisted the Holy Spirit, resisted the, the voice of God in his heart, rebelled against God in his life, then actually this person will die in his sin and then God will throw the soul and the body together in the lake of the fire. So the Lord is telling us temporal death is compared to nothing with the eternal death. Because after temporal death, there is resurrection. So it's nothing. But the eternal death is the death whom we sh which we should fear. And this verse actually, when the Lord said, he will throw both soul and body in hell, this means the body will be raised. We believe in the resurrection of the body. All the bodies, the bodies of the righteous and the bodies of the sinners will be raised. Not only the bodies of the righteous, but the bodies of the sinners also. That's why in John chapter 5, the Lord said, the hour is coming in which all those who are in graves will hear the voice of the Son of Man. And those who have done good, they will be raised into resurrection of life. And those who had done evil will be raised into the resurrection of damnation. So there is a resurrection of life and resurrection of damnation. But all the bodies will be raised, even the bodies of the wicked people. And in order to assure them of his care, so he starts by telling them, you need to publicly witness for me. And you should not be afraid, because people who will threaten you has no authority except over your body. But they can do nothing for your soul. Then he wants to assure them more how much he cares about them. So he gives them two examples. Two examples about very little things, very trivial things. And he told them God cares even about these trivial things. So how much more he will care about you. The first example in verse 29, he told them, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? 
The second example, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So these are verses, these are verses that show us and demonstrate to us the care of God. Sparrows are considered among the smallest and least valuable birds. But even these least valuable birds are under the care of God. The sparrows were very, very cheap. That's why they sold them in pairs for just one coin. So actually, uh, they cost nothing. They worth nothing. But God noticed even the fall of one. And not one sparrow will fall down without permission from God. So God is telling us, I am taking care of the birds that are of the least value. How much more I will care about you. You are much better than sparrows. Then he spoke about the hair of our head. Nobody would worry if one single hair falls down. Maybe even we don't notice if one single hair fall, uh, fell down. And actually, who can know the number of the hair of his head? None. But the Lord, he told us, even the hair of your head are all numbered. And not one single hair fall down without permission of God. This actually demonstrates to us the protection and the care of God toward us. That's why we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid. So the Lord encouraged them to speak publicly. He told them, if people wanted to kill you, then actually they will kill on the body, but they have no authority over your soul. Number three, he told them, if I take care of the least valuable things, like the sparrows, like the hair of your head, how much more I will take about you? Then number four, he starts to speak to them. Now you have no excuse. You need to confess me. You need to acknowledge me publicly. And if you confess me publicly, I will confess you too. But if you deny me, then I will deny you, as we read in verse 32 and verse 33. He said, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Confession and denial here is not only by our mouth. The Lord is not speaking here about the verbal uh, confession, but speaking about how to live before men as servants of God, as children of God. So, yes, we need to confess him verbally, 
but also more importantly to confess him by our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So acknowledgement of Christ or confessing Christ is by obeying his word and by giving uh, our life to his service. Confession is a demonstration of faith. As St. James said, show me your faith by your works. So we can demonstrate our faith by our works and thus we uh, show our confession of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the opposite is also true. Those who disobey the word of God and who their works does not reflect their faith, they are denying the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord said, those who will confess me, I will confess them. But those who deny me, I will deny them. Uh, here actually, the Lord demonstrated his divinity and he is the judge of the world. By saying, he who confesses me, I will confess him, and he who denies me, I deny him, he actually is sending a message that I am the judge of the world. And if he is the judge of the world, then actually he is God, he is divine. He is sitting on his throne and actually uh, mentioning that those who will confess him, he will, confi uh, he will confess them, and the opposite is true. So, denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we are preoccupied with the cares of the world, with the pleasures of the world, with the money of the world, then we turn our way to the Christian life and we deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Also, refusing Christ and not accepting him like the Jews who refused Christ and did not accept him uh, they, uh, so they considered denied the Lord Jesus Christ after that the Lord told them don't expect persecution only from the government actually your own family can persecute you so when you publicly confess me and acknowledge me, maybe your own family will persecute you and kill you. That's why in verse 34 he said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against the, his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. How come the Lord, the King of Peace, says, I did not come to bring peace on earth, but a sword? And by the way, this verse is taken from Micah, chapter 7 and verse 6 from Micah chapter 7 verse 6 here I want to clarify that Christ 
did not mean that the object of his coming was to produce discord and contention and turn people against each other and there will be sword. No, he did not come for this reason. But he is saying, because he is the king of peace, but he is saying that this contention and discord will be one of the effects of his coming, one of the results of his coming. So he did not come with this object, but this will be the effect of his coming. What do I mean by this? Of course, at the time of Christ, all the family were either Jewish or pagan. So if part of the family accepted Christ and the other part of the family did not accept Christ, so the part who denied Christ and did not accept him, they actually will turn against those who believed in Christ. And they may use a physical sword to kill the believers in Christ. So here the sword is not our sword, but it is a sword against us. It is the sword of our enemies or the enemies of Christ against us. Because we Christian, we only know one sword, which is the sword of the Spirit. But the, the persecutors of Christianity in every age used carnal sword swords against us. Why they will turn against us? Why? Because there is no fellowship between darkness and the light. The Spirit of Christ in us cannot have union with the Spirit of the world. That's why even a father or a mother or a daughter or a brother who rejected Christ will oppose a godly family member. Why? Because this spirit, the spirit of Christ, cannot have union with the spirit of the world. Uh, and in the church history, we read about many converts who actually were kicked out of their houses or banished by kindred because just they confessed to Christ. Uh, and we should know that the spirit in this people is not the spirit of peace. That's why this spirit turns against the spirit of Christ. So, in reality, it is the spirits that are in opposition and not the person. The spirit in them is in opposition, not the person himself. So, if my family, who did not accept Christ, turned against me, then actually I am in a difficult situation. Whom should I accept and whom should I deny? Should I accept Christ and deny my family or accept my family and deny Christ? Whom should I obey? Should I obey God or I obey my family? 
That's why in verse 37, the Lord said, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. In this verse, actually, God is not telling us to love our family less, but actually is telling us to love him more. He is not telling us to love our family less, but he wants us to love him more. Uh, love of God should be the most dominant principle of our life. It is the most dominant principle in our life. And again, if we go back to the martyrs of Libya, we can see how these martyrs loved God more than anybody else. Most of them were young men. And they had families and they had little children. Maybe they could have justified sparing their life for the sake of the little children. But if they have done this, then actually they will be loving to their children more than their love to God. That's why actually they refused to uh, follow their emotions or their instinct, but they followed the commandment of God. Their love for God was greater than love for any other thing. That's why they accepted martyrdom, trusting their spouses and their little children in the hand of God, and God actually will take care of them. Another point the Lord told them, if you are going to confess me publicly, and if you are going to preach me, then actually you need to expect some suffering. You need to expect some suffering. That's why in verse 38, he told them, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So here the Lord starts by telling them, you need to confess me publicly. Do not be afraid of those who will kill you because they have no authority over your soul. And if I care about the little things, I will care about you. So if you confess me publicly before men by your deeds and actions, I will confess you. But if you deny me, I will deny you. Also expect even your own families will turn against you. And your own family will be your own enemies. So here you need to choose either God or your family who turn it against you. If you choose God, then you are worthy of him. You can be his disciples. But if you choose your family and deny the God, then you are not worthy of him. And don't expect a rosy road, but expect actually difficulty. Expect a cross. Expect suffering in your life. Expect to carry the cross in your life. 
Actually, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, speaking about carrying the cross, he said daily, daily. So we expect to have suffering every day in our life. But this suffering will turn into glory. As much as the suffering of Christ increases in us, as much as the glory that we receive in heaven will increase for us. The cross can be either suffering from outside, but it can be also suffering from inside. The cross can be the pain of self-denial when I deny my ego, my pride, myself. The cross, it is a symbol of doing our duty even at the cost of the most painful death. We will, do you, we will do our duty, our service, our acknowledgement of Christ, our confession, our preaching, even if the cost of this will be the most painful death. Like Christ, Christ obeyed God the Father, and he carried out his work for the salvation of men. And what did it require for him? It required for him his death upon the cross in order to save us. Uh, so cross is not just mere suffering, but it is suffering for Christ. Cross is not only mere suffering, but the suffering for Christ. Uh, then actually the Lord told us to encourage us, verse 39, he who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. For example, if one of those martyrs of Libya, he said, I will find my life, I will save my life, then actually he denied the Christ. So is he a loser or a winner? Definitely is a loser. Yes, he saved his life on earth for some years, but after he dies, he will not go to heaven. That's why the Lord said, he who finds his life will lose it, but he who will lose his life for my sake will find it. Uh, so, whoever counts his life of so much value that he will preserve it by sacrificing his Christian integrity or denying his own faith or renouncing his own religion to save his life, he will find in the end that he has lost his soul forever for the sake of transient years. But he who forsake all things, even himself, for Christ will actually receive abundant reward in the eternal life. I remember one time His Holiness Pope Shenouda spoke about St. Anthony the Great, whether he gave or he received. And he said, yes, St. Anthony gave many things. He gave 300 acres. He gave 
uh, or compromised uh, to have a family and to live in the luxury of a city, but he lived in a desert. He, he, he lost many, many things. But if actually we studied his life carefully, he actually received more than what he lost. He did not have biological children, but all the monks in the whole world, they are his children. He sold some acres of land, but he got more and more acres. All these monasteries are belonging to St. Anthony. And above this, he earned or he inherited the kingdom of heaven. So I can say all self-seeking is self-losing. When a person wants to seek his own soul or his own self, actually he is losing it. But if we give our life for the sake of Christ, actually this is how we will gain our life. So the Lord here again, he is encouraging them not to be afraid, but to be bold in preaching, even if this caused them to lose their life, because in this situation, they are not losing their life, but they are finding their life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in the end of the chapter, he encouraged them by telling them, whoever honor you, he honors me. Why? Because you are my representative. You are my disciples. You are preaching my gospel. So whoever honors you, honors me. And he repeated this three times in a different ways. Verse 40, he said, He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him, Father, who sent me. So hear about the apostle. If you receive one of the apostles, as you receive the Christ. Second example. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man, third example, in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man reward. So, uh, the Lord is encouraging the disciples by telling them, you are my ambassadors. You are my ambassadors. So whoever receives you is receiving me. And he encouraged the people to show appreciation to the apostles. That's why he said, any kind of appreciation toward the apostles or the prophets or the righteous, even if this very, very little, but I will consider it. Little like what? Like a cup of cold water. That's why in verse 42 he said, Whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. So the Lord is telling us, whatever you do to my people, my disciples, my apostles, my prophets, my uh, righteous one, whatever you do to them, 
will not go in vain but I will reward you I will reward you uh, and why the Lord used the three examples the apostles the prophets and the righteous one actually in this repetition he is assuring us that whatever we do for the servants of God will be rewarded but why the Lord called the disciples little one when he said whatever you do to these little ones because they were lowly in spirit they were little in the eyes of undiscerning world although heaven highly esteemed them little ones because we are minority but the Lord said even the smallest service you offer to them like a cup of water will not be forgotten that's why the Lord is assuring us good deeds are never lost good deeds are never lost so to summarize about discipleship we can say from this passage discipleship means confessing and professing the our faith in Christ discipleship means to fight the good fight by carrying my cross and enduring this pain discipleship means to follow if you are a disciple of Christ then you are a follower of Christ to follow Christ in your life discipleship means to give up your life here the luxuries of the world to uh, discipline yourself as St. Paul said I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest after I preach it others I myself be disqualified so when we give up our life when we lose our life for the sake of Christ truly we will find it this conclude the uh, commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ to the disciple when he sent them to the lost sheep of Israel glory be to God forever and ever amen in